0: You're listening to Money and Meaning, Unlikely Allies Building New Markets for Impact, with your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. Check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. Let's join the conversation.
1: Welcome back to Money and Meaning. This is your host, Lindsay Smalling, and today I'm excited to introduce you to our new co-host, Alex Kravitz. Liz Maxwell, who is my co-host for Season 1, did an amazing job launching this podcast last year, but she recently moved back to her hometown of New Orleans and has unfortunately left the SOCAP team to pursue some exciting opportunities there. Alex joins us from Easton, Massachusetts, and joined the SOCAP team last summer as a programming associate, working primarily on the SOCAP 18 content. I'm really excited to co-host with Alex because he actually listens to podcasts, which is something that I don't find a lot of time for with two small kids. So he's already brought a lot of new ideas for how we can share great stories and grow this community. When Liz and I started, we both gave a little bit of background on ourselves. So Alex, could you share just a little bit about your background and how you ended up working at the intersection of money and meaning?
2: Sure. Thanks for the introduction, Lindsay. I'm very excited to be joining the podcast as your co-host. I was first exposed to this intersection between money and meaning in business school of all places. The University of Michigan has a student-run impact investing fund, the Social Venture Fund, that invests in early stage social enterprises. Through this experience, I had the opportunity to meet a number of social entrepreneurs who were doing truly amazing work. Beyond just the impact they were having, I found a certain level of of energy and enthusiasm that I found truly contagious. Having had this experience, I had a lot of difficulty imagining myself pursuing some of the more traditional business school career paths, a decision which I'm sure you, Lindsay, can relate to, having come to the same one yourself.
1: And I've never looked back. (laughs) So in this podcast, we decided to share an abridged version of a panel at SOCAP 18, which I'm excited about because we have so much great content at every flagship. And so little of it gets beyond the folks who are in that room. But out of more than 150 sessions that you had to choose from, I have to say, I was a little surprised that you chose one on innovations in circular fashion.
2: I think your, your implication being that I, uh, I don't appear to have much knowledge of the fashion industry, <laughs> and in that you would be absolutely correct. Um, but, while well, listening to this panel, I, I was really blown away by some of the statistics around the environmental impact of this industry. Textiles and apparel accounts for 10% of all global CO2 emissions and 20% of the world's industrial wastewater. so, you know, as you can see, any innovations in this industry as the opportunity for for massive global impact.
1: And this panel was touching on innovations across the whole fashion supply chain, from materials and production to distribution and sales, and then back to recycling and recovery. And we had the benefit of an amazing panel coming together to talk about this really complex system. Our moderator, Scott Leonard, is the CEO of Indigenous Designs, a sustainable fashion brand. And he has long been a thought leader at the forefront of circular fashion, and his resume is really long and really impressive. It's worth noting Scott's been a deep collaborator with SoCap um, over many, many years since the beginning, uh, and he's always pointing us towards the next big impact opportunity that he sees on the horizon. Joining him on the panel is Isabel Larsson, the director of Plug and Play's Fashion for Good an accelerator for sustainable innovations in the textile industry. Also, Milos Ribic, director at Adidas Ventures, which funds circular innovation startups. Carla Mora, founder and managing partner for Elante Capital, a venture fund that invests in companies that improve environmental or social sustainability within the textile and apparel industry. And Louis Perkins, the president of the Apparel Impact Institute. The Apparel Impact Institute is an accelerator that invests in sustainable social and environmental solutions for the apparel and footwear industry. So that was a lot of organization names you've probably never heard, but links to all of those are available on our website. I think where it gets really interesting is when we dig into their comments on the new innovations that are happening in this space. So let's jump into the panel.
3: The first thing that I'll say about Carla, I have always been impressed with your work. Um, but you first started in the in the base of the pyramid, the BOP, uh, actually helping social entrepreneurs, which is also very dear to my heart. Working with indigenous, we we help artisans uh, scale jobs. Um, I you've always struck me as a as a as a doer, but that you kind of took entrepreneurial uh, talents to a new level. You broke out. You mean you did something, this is pretty audacious, you've created your own fund. So um, cheers to you and it's been very successful so far and I'd love you to tell us a little bit about that.
4: Hi everyone, Um, my name is Carla Mora and I'm the founder and managing partner of Elante Capital. And Elante Capital is a new impact investment venture capital fund that is investing in new chemistries and technologies to empower circularity within the fashion industry, within the textile industry. Um, so, yeah, as Scott mentioned, I took a, a different path to get to this space, but before moving into impact investing about six years ago, I was working as a development economist in supply chain reform, and that's something that was always very near and dear to my heart. So after learning about impact investing and with my future or my past experience, I really wanted to focus my efforts on a fund that kind of married both of those skill sets and interests and looking at how do we how can we pull the levers and the way that we actually produce things so that they have a positive impact and not a negative impact on people and the planet. And so that was really um, the beginning kind of seeds going on inside my head that led to Elante Capital. And uh, when I launched Elante, it was originally going to be looking at uh, the agriculture space, and I was doing due diligence on a natural indigo company in the apparel industry and uncovered the... Incredible environmental problems that were happening in the industry, and I was just taken back. I mean, we all knew about the the labor conditions and issues in the supply chain. We remember the campaign in the 90s from Nike, and you know that part I knew, but I didn't somehow get the scope of the problem, um, the the environmental problem. But one thing struck me uh, about the apparel industry was. Looking across different industries that I've worked with in the past, apparel seemed ready for change um, in a really exciting way, that it was coming from the small and emerging ethical fashion brands that were driving consumers to start saying we want better products, but also the large and established brands were actively looking at ways to um, improve their production practices, ensure that their suppliers were upholding the standards that they expected, and they were putting resources to work um, with organizations like Fashion for Good that you'll hear about. They're, they had foundations, um, CNA Foundation that we heard from Dimple earlier, where they were putting money to actually spur innovation to help improve, to help solve the problems that the apparel industry faced. And that was really exciting, and so I wanted to be a part of it. Um, So anyhow, uh, my fund, I'm the managing partner alongside my other managing partner, Leslie Harwell, who's based in New York, and we recently brought on our third partner and anchor investor Eileen Fisher, who has her own apparel brand. It's been around for about 35 years, and for the last two decades, she's been completely focused on sourcing responsibly, and Eileen came to us um, to be a part of this fund because as an individual, not from her brand herself, but because she knows the struggles of how hard it is to source responsibly. And it's a big expectation and a big ask that we give to the industry um, to do that when there's not the real capacity to do that across the board. So she understood that it was challenging and she wanted to be a part of making it easier for companies across the entire industry, whether you're outdoor, you're luxury, you're athleisure, your fashion, whatever. Let's see what is required for the industry to really take steps forward towards true circularity so she came on board um and and we really began about a year and a half ago so a big part of our model um the thing that she was attracted to was that we work with the brands so we don't look to invest in any brands ourselves we work with brands like adidas um, patagonia nike levi's here in san francisco the gap um, to go in and ask them what What are you looking for to be able to meet your sustainability goals? And how can we help to bring innovation to you that will work within your supply chain? And so we have a very interactive relationship where we work with them to truly understand what are your goals? You want to decrease your carbon emissions by X percent by 2020. How are we going to do that? And there are a lot of strategies. Maybe you source this climate-smart cotton, um, or maybe you invest in a new material that is carbon neutral. We, we look across the scope. We can show them, have you seen these different innovations happening in the dye space, uh, in on-demand manufacturing? Have you looked at, um, you know, ways that you can better plan your inventory so that we're not overproducing and having to burn unused garments that we see that in the paper all the time now? And, you know, there's, there's huge problems. There's huge problems with waste. Um, and so the brands are very excited to be a part of figuring out ways for them to solve this within their supply chain. So we work really closely with them to understand what the market needs, what's viable, and we source the innovation. So kind of similar to what Milish is doing, um, we're similar to a corporate VC, but we're not tied to a single brand. So we're able to work with lots of brands. And we have a because we're a single industry focus, we get a lot of access of ex- super exciting innovation across the apparel industry, but we have, um, in order to have the diversification we need for our to be able to have the exits within the timeframe of our fund with the, the multiple that we expect, all of that, we're able to um, diversify in a number of different business models. And they asked me to, to show this slide just because it's a, and you don't have to read the small fine print, but it just kind of shows the ecosystem of the apparel industry. And this is the way we break it down um, and where we see opportunities for investment and innovation and it, how we see it. So one's the production, how are things made, right? So. There's the raw materials, like what goes into making the shirt you have. There's the raw materials that go into it. There's the dyes. There's the chemistries to keep it from wrinkling, to keep the dye from running, to keep it from smelling when you're out there exercising, all of that stuff, right? All of those have opportunities for us to invest in preferred chemistries that remove the harsh, toxic Elements that end up oftentimes in the rivers and water systems where the products are produced. Um, The raw materials, we're seeing a lot of innovation happening there with, especially right now, we're we're also looking at the same, or similar companies that are looking at biodegradable polyester to Mm -hmm. address the issues with microfiber pollution that's ending up in our oceans and our fish and our uh, agriculture and our our tap water. Um, Trying to figure out how can we, invest in innovation that allows us to have the performance requirement that us as consumers want. We want those yoga pants or our exercise gear to still have that element that synthetic fibers provide, but can it have it without the problems that synthetic fibers currently leave in our environment, being that they're plastic-based. So we see these innovation opportunities across the supply chain looking at processing and finishing to cut and sew and design, something that Scott mentioned earlier is design is an important part. Like these are all elements that go into finally the design that these professionals who really understand customers need to work with. So we have to make sure it works within the concept of is it going to actually wear the way us us consumers want it to wear. So we look at innovation all the way to cut and sew. Is there a way that we can not leave scraps on the factory floors? I know um, Adidas has done some cool stuff with fly knit shoes and they're not leaving the waste on the factory floors. And there's a lot of innovation that can happen across that. But then once we get out of the supply chain, um, another area is software that we'll talk about. He mentioned the Higg index, but how can we create traceability and, and improve efficiency across our supply chain through better management tools? So these are all options. And then when we dive into distribution, um, this is how we look at it, is how does this really reach the market? You see these retail shops closing down in the malls everywhere, and it seems scary, but really it's just changing. People are still consuming garments at an enormous rate, too too much. (laughs) Um, um, And so we look at how are people shopping? Do they need to have ownership over garments, or is there a shift towards access with models like Rent the Runway or Black Tux or... Do we need to own all of these things? What's happening with the resurgent with secondhand and companies like The Real Real and Thread Up? Um, so we look at this as an opportunity of innovation of, of how does it reach the market, and then once it's reached the market, how is it worn? How is it used? How do we keep it in circulation longer, out of out of our closets, but on our bodies and actually in use before going to landfill? Is there a way that we can extend the life of a garment? Um, there are a lot of options here for innovation. Uh, whether you're looking at f- better fit. I'm sure we've all had issues with going in and just nothing really fits right because of the way that the apparel industry has changed manufacturing over time. So looking at new fit technologies so that as a company, you have less returns, which is good for business, that you're actually being able to sell to the consumers what they're looking for. So there's a lot of opportunity and innovation here. And then just so I can go a little faster, the last piece is once it is done being worn What do we do with it? Mm -hmm. Is it landing in landfill? Is it being burned in incinerators? Is it ending up in our oceans? Like how do we deal with this waste, especially when so much of it does not break down? There's a a lot of innovation happening in chemical recycling. So being able to recycle garments all the way down to essentially the molecular level to separate them out. And you have polyester and you have cotton, uh, what that's broken down into so that it can be rebuilt and then used right back into the supply chain. So now it's sold to those spinners and yarn makers to be able to make new garments out of old garments. Uh, and that really is what empowers true circularity, though there's a lot of pieces that that need to happen to make that happen, whether it's the sorting technology, um, all of that. So this is an example of, so those are the innovations, this is what we see as the entire ecosystem, the back end of fashion. And here's just a few examples of the companies that that are addressing those issues exactly in that way.
2: You're listening to Money and meaning. For additional content and information about upcoming events, visit socialcapitalmarkets.net.
3: It really does show an ecosystem. And although uh, we want to talk about some of these companies, um, we'll we'll get back to it. Um, But you didn't leave a lot on the table. You really covered a lot. So thank you for that. Lewis, we're going to skip you for a second, um, if that's okay, and uh, we're going to move down to, to Isabel, and Isabel, I wanted to say that um, something I've said to you before, too, is that I really do feel like you bridge a lot of worlds, um, being, uh, growing up in, in in France, yeah, and, and then um, living in Amsterdam, but also working uh, not only in Amsterdam, but also with a Silicon Valley plug-and-play, so you're holding up... Uh, so many different worlds. So when we first were looking at all the different partners that we wanted to bring in for Fashion for Good, which has been an amazing incubation and accelerator, um, Plug and Play came, came to the top as one of the best and brightest uh, Silicon Valley in- incubators and accelerators. But it's a little bit of a different world, as we've all uh, found out. But you've bridged that gap and you've done an amazing job and you've been a huge part of the success, so thank you for that. And part of that success too is, is being the bridge uh, between the investment and the investors and putting that innovation into work within the supply chain with all the partners, but it's also understanding the needs of the entrepreneur. So, wanted to give you props for that, but uh, can you tell us about Fashion for Good, your uh, what's your role with uh, Plug and Play, and? Um, a little bit about yourself, please.
5: Thank you, uh, Scott. Um, so my name is Isabelle Laurencin. As you said, I'm French, so sorry for the accent. Um, uh, I'm the director of the Fashion for Good plug-and-play program. So we're based in Amsterdam, and we are part of the Fashion for Good initiative. Um, as you said, it's part of a, it's, it was born as a, a kind of a unique partnership between, on the one hand, plug-and-play. Uh, some of you may know, because our headquarters are not far from here in Sunnyvale. Um, we are one of the largest corporate innovations platform in the world, besides our headquarters, where we run, run about fourteen verticals, um, we run about thirty industry focused accelerator programs around the world in Europe, um, Middle East and, and Asia. Um, last year, um, we partnered uh, with Fashion for Good in Amsterdam to uh, launch this program to find, identify, support, accelerate those new technologies and solutions that will contribute in um, transforming that industry into a circular model. Um, So you've covered kind of all the sub areas uh, that we are looking at, uh, and it's very similar to to what Alente is doing. I'd like to put some numbers behind the impact that you mentioned, but not everyone is aware of how impactful the textile industry is, but it now accounts for 10% of uh, CO2 emission, which, probably ranks very close behind the transportation industry. Um, And to produce the polyester that goes into our clothing, we use about 70 million barrels of oil every year. Uh, You probably know that for growing cotton, it's a huge amount of pesticides, water, fertilizers. Only 1% of the cotton production in the world is organic. Um, We also uh, look at Fashion for Good at the... um, uh, labor conditions and the whole textile industries employ 14 million workers that in some um, most of the time are still underpaid or under under the ILO conditions. Um, so all of those uh, are topics that are pressing and most pressing because those impacts, those numbers are expected to increase by 60% by 2025 it is tomorrow. Um, so we need disruptive innovation. Uh, it was based on this statement that observation that uh, we need disruptive innovation and none of the big brands, big retailers, big uh, industry players can make that transformation on its own. We need collaboration to support those innovations. So Fashion for Good was launched last year uh, in March, uh, the initiative of the CNA Foundation, so the foundation of the big Dutch retailer CNA, um, to bring together all the industry players, uh, the retailers, but also the manufacturers. It's a very large fragmented supply chain that we're talking about um, to support uh, this innovation. And um, 18 months uh, after the launch, we now work with great partners, such obviously Adidas, but also CNA, the Caring Group, holding company of Gucci, St. Laurent, Balenciaga. We work with Target, uh, Zalando, uh, e-commerce platform, PVH, Stella McCartney, uh, and many more. I have now no time to... We have now 10 partners, we'll soon welcome um, a few more. So we're really happy to have brought together um, industry players that collaborate and openly share because we have built this pre-competitive space where it is uh, of the interest of the brands and retailers to de-risk their investment in those innovations by exchanging and sharing their experience with those um, innovators. So in practice, how does it work? Similarly to to Carla Alante, we we work closely with those um, brands. We we do not push innovations to to them because it wouldn't work. We work with them, we ask them what what are they looking at, Um, what are their challenges, and we scout globally uh, the technologies that can address those challenges. Um, We invite them to a program that is based in Amsterdam for three months, and these three months are really dedicated to engaging with our brands and they meet multiple times, more than five, six times. They get mentoring, they get feedback, they, get, they can, can validate their market um, fit, uh, and engage in piloting opportunities with those brands. Um,
3: Isabel, I wanted to ask you, how many, how many batches have we got now? It's, are we up to four?
5: We, we're halfway our fourth batch, so altogether, we've worked um, with uh, about 50 companies, yeah. coming from 16 countries, as, sometimes as far as Australia, Uh, Quite a number from uh, North America. Each
3: company with a very nice solution around
5: circular. Yeah, and it's it's extremely diverse. I mean, uh, if you uh, have the slide that uh, Carla put put up together, I mean, a a number of those logos uh, are very well known from Fashion for Good. We are or have worked uh, with those uh, companies. It's always a long run. Um, So... This accelerator program is is how we start the engagement with the brands. But Fashion for Goods is much more than the accelerator program. They've put together other programs. Uh, One is the scaling program. So once the piloting um, phase is initiated with the brands, the uh, innovations can be brought to this longer term uh, bespoke support uh, to the piloting phase, really supporting the engagement between brands and and the startups. we are also raising a fund uh, that hopefully will close uh, very soon. Uh, that will cover the, what we call the implementation phase. So when the innovation uh, is scaled uh, and tested, approved by a brand, it has to be implemented in the supply chain. As you know, most brands do not own their supply chain, so we need to bring this other player, which is the manufacturer, the dye house, the spinner. Uh, into the mix in order for them to um, uh, adopt that new technology. And so we have built that fund to support that, um, that, that process and to help those manufacturers to, to, to convert to those new technologies.
3: We're going to move to, to Louis. Louis, when I think about you, I, I really think of you as an icon around circular uh, a, as a person, but especially in circular fashion. Um, you you really have helped so many different companies move towards circular, and uh, specifically in in the fashion space. If we talk about cradle to cradle certified, fashion positive, material wise initiatives, you've had your hand in all these things. Um, you've really you've really um, given yourself to the industry and been on main stage globally. But you're on to something else now. So uh, although you know although it would be nice for you to speak about some of those things, uh, we're first gonna. Hear about uh, what you're doing currently uh, around uh, not only just funding innovations, but really uh, it's 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 the plug-in, right? So I was hoping that you might be able to to speak to everybody about the HIG Index um, that the Sustainable Apparel Apparel Coalition uh, has has put forth and a lot of our brands are using right now, and how that is sort of a convergence because a lot of your work right now, at least as I have understood it, is about that convergence. So we can really not have as much redundancy, but we can, we blow on the coals of innovation. Have I said too much? No, I think you're right, (laughs) I think
6: this is good, thank you. Thanks for the generous introduction. And thanks to this panel, as I'm sitting here listening to everybody, I'm thinking this is really great because we make up this very interesting ecosystem that as, you know, we're a relatively new organization, the Apparel Impact Institute, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but as we start looking at what unique role we play within this investment, funding, and scaling scenario that we're all a part of, um, it's, it's really great that we are here. So thanks for pulling us together, too, because yep. we all know each other. But I think sitting together is important. Um, when I was sitting here thinking a minute ago, I've been in the circular economy work for 11 years, almost exactly. I was hired by Mohawk Industries 11 years ago and it seems like 20 years ago to me to uh, come in and help them around the development of the circular systems for carpet flooring tile laminates you know these were really products in the built environment and it re- really an origin story for circularity comes out of carpet, interestingly. Yeah. Ray Anderson, Shaw Industries, the work of Bill McDonough, really kind of putting into play this idea of if we could look as an industry at common materials, nylon, nylon 6-6, polypropylene, polyester, you know, it's all the same and if we design our products in a way that I can take back yours and you can take back theirs and we can put it into a system, then ultimately you know, it's keeping that molecules continuously at play concept that we're really aiming for and eliminating the dependency that we have on crude oil and other materials that are deplenishing, that was the system and so um, I started that job in November of 2007 and on my first day the CEO walked in and threw a book down on the desk, cradle to cradle, remaking the way we make things and he said, Uh read this book, you know, and so I did and and, uh, a year later I'm hanging out with Bill McDonough and Michael Bromgaard and a year and a half after that I'm at the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute, and so I've spent the last six years helping build the product standard that um, CNA and G-Star and, and other companies are really working on in terms of verification of um, the chemistry, the water, energy, and, of course, the material reutilization of the of the product, the materials, fibers, uh, zippers, buttons, trims, dyes, et cetera, going into the composition um, and so, um, so anyway it's been an honor to do that and one of the things you mentioned that we yeah. launched which fits very well into these two folks, actually all, all four of us here, uh, is the, um, is the uh, circular innovation working group that we developed over at Cradle to Cradle that was looking at chemical due diligence of the innovations that we're going through, fashion for good with the accelerator that companies, uh, investors like Elante, um, H&M's Global Change Award, you know, all looking at how do we verify that these circular solutions are also having a positive impact from a from a material health and chemistry standpoint? That we're not creating some unintended consequence that ends up in our water systems or affluent as a result of building something for for circularity. And so that group's still ongoing and works with a number of the same brands that have been thrown out here. But I think what we're seeing is a trend in in this collaborative space. And you mentioned the Higg Index. So the Apparel Impact Institute, which I'm now running, uh, I'm in day like 45 on the job, uh, was launched this last year with, our origin story comes out of the SAC. The Sustainable Apparel Coalition obviously is the group that created the Higg Index and the facility, product, and brand modules to verify or rate how a company, a mill, uh, a product is, in terms of a scale to 1 to 100, uh, based on environmental and social metrics and and heavily on the environmental side. And so the, go- the concept of that, many of you in the room may know this very well, but came out of a number of brands like Walmart and Patagonia and, and Nike, you know, who are all working along uh, different audit systems for measurement. And so the baseline was, hey, can we just start coming at the industry meaning the supply chain with a similar set of tools, and then we can actually have a common language around what is a 62 versus a 73, and you know what do these scores mean, and how we might ultimately drive the whole industry towards impact. And um, if you know, you know, once you measure it, once you have transparency, and once you start to audit and verify those numbers, then you can actually start to say, okay, this is where we wanna go. What the SAC wasn't gonna do Although it's always been sort of in the consideration, is how do we foster and accelerate movements like circularity, green chemistry, uh, optimization, improvements in the mill level, uh, renewable energy in the supply chain? You know, all that needs to happen in order to get a score higher, in order to improve and optimize our supply chain and our products and our materials, and thereby, you know every, every uh, level of the footprint that brands are having. But at the same time, it wasn't the job of the SAC to do that. And so through some conversations with a number of brands uh, and some other investors, the Apparel Impact Institute was launched. Uh, our, our funders are target uh, HSBC from the commercial uh, institutional investment side, as well as uh, IDH, the Sustainable Trade Initiative. So we have this interesting public-private kind of partnership, and now brands are also putting funding into it. So back to the similar model. Our goal is to invest in scaling the top sustainability programs and initiatives that are out there as a collective industry. One voice, one set of you know financial framework, and then we we aggregate funding and go there. So we're almost like the accelerator of the NGO side mm-hmm. today more than we'd be the accelerator of these innovations. And you're re- you're really
3: lining up a lot of the language. You know, we talk about green chemistry, and you right. talk about. A in to Index. So it's the, the innovations and the entrepreneurs are really ready to plug in, right?
6: Absolutely. And I think one of the, if I was to throw up a slide right now, it would be a pyramid and it would show this sort of foundational work of mill improvement optimization around water and energy, real baseline, low hanging fruit. But if you're not doing this, you're not ready to go into some of the more innovations of cleaner energy, circular systems, uh, you know, some of the systemic solutions, technology that we're talking about. Uh, from an investment standpoint too. What I hope AII will be doing, am I doing on my time? Almost there. What AII will be doing is really helping to establish this framework in partnership with everyone at this table and the brands that we're all talking to. Let's create a framework for where we wanna go, how we wanna go there, and then we can start to uniquely deploy different funding mechanisms, whether it's coming as investment, whether it's coming as philanthropic, or some mix of the two. And meanwhile, being also to create relationships with institutional investors who can stand by and be ready to deploy larger levels of money into these innovations once the, the case studies are proven that you know this is where we want to go. Taking some of that early stage risk riskier investors that are willing to go or philanthropic and starting to complement that with... Uh, you know, more stabilized sources of, of funding. And so that's what that's what our goal is.
3: I was fearful of this, that I might not be able to ask all the questions that I wanted to ask. So I'm going to ask one for sure right now and have you all give a uh, somewhat uh, pithy response. Uh, I'm going to start with Isabel. But it's going to be the same question to, to maybe save a little bit of time. And that is, is that, What's going to be the the number one thing that you think is going to help shift industry um, in and around circular economy, or it could be circular fashion, uh, and and realizing that uh, from my standpoint there is no silver bullet. There's it's everything, and I think Carla, you you hit it. You I mean you talked about. I said you didn't leave anything on the table because you really hit an, an ecosystem. Well, the slide's gone now, but um, you hit an ecosystem that's out there and we really need to design from the beginning and go to the end and then back around. So um, I'd like to go down the line and I'd like to know if there's something that comes to mind from each of you um, is, as the number one thing we can do.
5: There is no silver bullet indeed. And actually, this industry might be more complex than any other industry uh, you need a, an alignment of stars with an alignment of interest with so many actors. The brands are ultimately the one who will push innovations in the supply chain, but they won't do that unless the consumer are willing to take those innovations. So it, there's a conjunction of factors and a conjunction of effort that needs to be led um, at all fronts, which is making sure that innovations are coming to the market, making sure the consumers are um, aware and are pressing, pressing the brands to be more sustainable, more transparent, um, and also having access to that supply chain. So, it's it's this collaboration and uh, this is what we've actually tried to all put together yeah. and there's not one thing, it's actually multiple things that needs to happen together.
3: Okay, and I'm going to put you all on the spot really too uh, quickly. Do you have a favorite uh, innovation out of all the batches? We've all seen so many different innovations coming out of the Circular. If you could just name one of your favorite, please. Very. That's very
5: difficult. Uh, we have 50 now, so I feel really bad to, to pick one. I'll pick the one that is probably the closer to where we stand now. It's a company um, called Mango Materials. Mm. Uh, unlike their names, they have nothing to do with mangoes. Uh, <laughs> they are based in Redwood uh, in, the, in the valley, and they uh, basically extract the methane from wastewater treatment plants and use that methane to feed bacterias that can produce a, a biodegradable uh, uh, plastic that can substitute to polyester. Uh, so essentially it's closing the loop. Uh, they don't even take pipeline methane. They waste methane and, and the well, polyester can be biodegradable in any environment including marine environment. Um, so they're scaling it's super capex intensive so it will... Uh, probably take a bit of time for them to scale, but we—I do believe this is um, a very promising uh, innovation.
3: Louis, um, anything that comes to mind as far as what we can do, and then uh, you got to pick a, a favorite innovation.
6: I think that w- what we can do is—is is exactly what was just said. Is you know, this it, is there's no silver bullet. It's uh, to to sort of pull from the cradle to cradle philosophy. You know, to celebrate diversity. There's going to be a extremely diverse set of solutions and we're all coming at it from different angles and I also agree it is while while brands will implement you know there needs to be the economic value and I think that's what we want to work on is really aligning that this makes sense because if we're retooling the whole industrial movement and and looking at the way that we've established the last 150-200 years of production into a whole new model then we've got to demonstrate that it makes economic sense or it's it's not going to fly even if the consumers are saying they find this uh you know, to be to be an interesting uh, solution. You know, it's got to make sense. And then from a there's so many great innovations and solutions that are out there, and like all of the Evernew and, and uh, Dutch Awareness and Worn Again, all doing great things. I'm wearing this shirt. My friend, Christy Kaler, launched a company called For Days, and uh, and it came with a little bag that when this shirt wears out, I can send it back. And it's so simple, but it is a circular system. And yep. I think as we start to see some of the bigger brands get into these ideas of, you know, I have a subscription model, I get three t-shirts. And, you know, as soon as they're done and then they've worn out, which I wear through my t-shirts pretty fast, put them in the bag and they go back and they're being upcycled into fibers. So, you know, I think this is a really interesting way to start looking at different business models and I just I want to see more creativity around maybe traditional um, models and how they can start to be uh, played out into into circular systems like this
3: Lewis thank you Carla number one thing we can do to shift and your favorite pick and you can't pick Molly now from uh, from Mango
4: I think it's that that's tough but um, in terms of something we can do And we we talk about a lot of how it's a lot of cross-collaboration to really affect the entire ecosystem. And I think that's part of our job. But as a fund and a member of the impact investment community, this is a a rising conversation that I keep having in different different panels and different events and talking about sustainable apparel and industrial innovation um, in a new way. And I think right now um, our, our pipeline is growing more than we can handle. And there's more money coming into this space. But I think having more of a conversation around this as a way to address issues around sustainability, opportunities to invest to combat climate change. like It's a very exciting topic that goes much farther than, I think, um, prior conversations around sustainable apparel. Was
3: that a call for before. more money in the space? Absolutely. Okay, I yeah. just want to make sure. Um,
4: I think, yeah, there's a lot of role, there's a lot of opportunity, and I think more and more funds that are doing stuff with us, um, similar types of, there's a lot of room for us. Um, And then if you're thinking of a single innovation, that's so hard, but I think I would go with um, Titan Biosciences. I'm really excited about their technology at the moment, um, and they uh, break down your clothes. So your shirt made out of a cotton and polyester fiber, they can break it down all the way, uh, separate the fibers and get those fibers rebuilt and back into the industry so that the, you don't have to be making new polyester and, and that cotton becomes a basically a pulp that can go right back into the viscose industry which we talked about earlier being a very dirty industry now it can be a clean industry using uh, garment waste so I think uh, we have a huge waste problem and so those companies and there's a number of great ones um, that are addressing that and cultivating and finding value for that waste and getting it back in the supply chain are the most exciting
3: to me okay thank you and Milos uh, the shift one thing we might be able to think about or do, and then your favorite innovation.
7: So, as far as a shift, I think that the executive engagement between the manufacturing, supply chain, and brands is, can can them do more. Uh, we've had situations where we were interested in companies, and with you know, from one or, or both sectors, we were asked to really bear 100% of risk, and that's not what you know we, we can be successful at. And so, I think at that point we. Wanted to raise a corner we will be raising conversations with, on an executive level where we want to you know really have the manufacturing and supply chain really start prioritizing some of the circular initiatives initiatives more than they do because on one side we want to you know be buying more and want to create more products and so i really do think that that can really create a little bit of a shift sure um as far as innovation i want to shift more from companies not that we don't work with, them. we work with a lot of them, uh, but I'm really excited about uh, revenues this circular economy can create for a lot of Southeast Asian local economies. If we look at what shared economy done for you know, our world here on the, on the Western side, you know, what can this similar impact that can create for local economies there. So on one side, you know, Adidas made the big announcement that they will make will not use virgin plastic by 2024. Yeah. So that requires, uh, you know, really stimulating local economies on the collection side, but really creating a new, a lot of new kind of financial instruments for the scaling side, for creation of fiber side. So I think all of that together, combined with one brand and more brands really following the same suit, will definitely create a, a bit of a more impact where, you know, people have, you know, have a choice now to work in circular economy, which I think it's going to be great for everybody.
1: You're listening to Money and Meaning. I'm Lindsay Smalling, and you can find out more about the SoCap Conference, SoCap 365, and sign up for our newsletter at socialcapitalmarkets.net.
3: Uh, all right, so we do have a little bit of time for some questions, um, and and so if there are any questions, earlier
6: somebody talked about natural fibers versus fossil fuels, and I think about implications to biodiesel of where we went down that path and what that does for your cotton grower in whatever country versus yeah, fuel seems like a no-brainer.
3: Well, I'd like to have one of the panelists uh, answer that maybe more technically, but I would say natural is always going to be more circular, right, because it's biodegradable. So we're not putting petroleum into it, whether we're processing it and so forth. If we go natural, sometimes we can use – we can actually eliminate dyes completely, water use and all, all of that.
6: Yeah, but, more, I'm, more I'm getting at reusing natural. Yeah. does It feels like it creates a problem, may not solve a problem versus reusing fossil fuel makes perfect sense.
3: I'll let someone else field it.
6: Well, I mean, these two guys have been working on some of the, or working with some of the investments in the space too, but I think from a, from the standpoint of collecting, you know, you're collecting the materials, whether it's whether it's biological or technical nutrient, you know, so whether it's a petroleum-based, or And then a lot of what's these innovations are really taking a look at, even those natural materials like cotton and converting it to a cellulosic-based rayon-like fabric, and so looking at continuing that life. And I guess from a environmental footprint, you have to weigh that against the water, energy, and social impact that happened in stage one of growing that material versus the you know, the costs associated, or the energy and water associated with upcycling that rayon. And you guys may have done some studies or looked at some studies around sort of the the weight of those two. I think that's getting at the question, because in in some ways, you know, the the technical materials like nylons and polys seem to be a lot easier, but you do have to continue to move in. put virgin content yeah. back into that. And so it's kind of a, yeah, I mean, it's a deeper conversation, but it is kind of weighing out the costs associated with the two.
5: Yeah, no, I think it's also you have the, what's in theory, what's in practice. Uh, one thing is sure is that there is enough polyester uh, out there in the world um, for us to not have to produce polyester anymore if we manage to recycle it. Um, so thanks to some technologies like Titan Bioscience that you you mentioned if we manage to scale those technologies, we would be able to be completely independent from fossil fuels uh, in theory. And this will take a bit of time. When it comes to the impact, indeed, uh, if you just look at the impact of growing, which is like basically cradle to gate, uh, polyester is uh, less is more sustainable in theory than than, than natural fibre. Then you look at um, cradle to, uh, to to grave, um, then then you you have a totally different assessment. Um, depending yeah. on how you've grown the cotton and the natural fibers, that's
4: it's a bit And just to add, um, you mentioned biofuels and this company, Mango Materials, that people keep mentioning. What's interesting is a lot of PHA, which is the polymer that they use to make biodegradable plastic, um, will be sugar or corn-based. And so that's a great example of well, the actual the input to make this biodegradable plastic has a huge environmental footprint. So, is it really solving the problem? Um, whereas they're really, we're really excited about waste to fe- like waste as a feedstock. So they're they're able to cultivate methane gas, waste methane, um, to be able to feed the bacteria to be able to create this PHA. So it has a much better environmental impact than a sugar or corn based. So that, that that's always a part of the consideration when looking
6: and i think that you bring up another area which is the agricultural waste segment which we're seeing a lot of that coming in now to circular systems agro agro loop you know that are companies that are actually looking at you know how do we take the byproduct of one industry and mix it into the other and i'll say one one last thing too is even though the cradle to cradle philosophy sort of advocated for biological systems where it's compostable or biodegradable and technical systems i feel like so much of that biograd biodegradable material actually should be converted into upcycled material which is why i get excited about the sort of Ever new, and folks that are taking that cotton-based material and turning it into a rayon that can then be upcycled into a second life.
3: So uh, AgriLoop has been has been uh, uh, named a couple times here. So the idea there is taking food waste, um, actually smallholder farmer, and being able to take that, put it into if you think tiny house uh, on on a plot of land, then actually process it. One side gets biochar, the other one other side comes out uh, phosphate and and something that you can uh, give back to. To uh, irrigation or or farming, and then you're left with cellulose, which you can actually turn into possibly a viscose. So it's a huge way to not uh, not turn you know cut down trees. And that, that I guess they got the uh, the global uh, awards this last year from uh, put on by H and M. So I guess we'll just take this opportunity to to thank all the panelists for for participating. Thank you so much, and good luck on all the innovations. Let's give them a hand.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Money and Meaning. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with a friend and help us continue to grow the audience for these important discussions. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, if you have any questions or feedback for us, we would love to hear from you at moneyandmeaningpodcast at gmail.com.
0: You've been listening to Money and Meaning, unlikely allies building new markets for impact. With your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are heard. To learn more, check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoCapMarkets.